Alexa, does God still heal? Hmm, I don't know that one. I can't do explanations yet. So tonight we're going to continue the series that we've been in the whole month of July. We are now in week four of our series called Unanswered, where we've been looking at some really, I, I think, deep questions that a lot of people have when it comes to faith, when it comes to, to God and religion. And we started out this series by talking about how could God be good when all this bad is happening around us, when there's all this suffering, like how is God good? And then the next week we went even deeper and we just talked about the question a lot of people struggle with of how is God loving, but he also sends people to hell. And so we looked at how even though God is loving, God is also just. And God shows us his love by sending his son to die for us on the cross so that we don't have to experience eternity in suffering. And then last week we talked about a question I know I've had many times is, how do science and Christianity work together? And so we looked at the Big Bang Theory, we looked at evolution, and we looked at how neither of those things, uh, when you look at it on a large scale, really contradict and are problematic for Christianity. In fact, uh, leading atheists and leading sci scientists have said that when you look at these theories, it, it, it quotes, uh, smacks of divine intervention. And when we looked at both of them, we could not deny the fact that no matter how you look at it, there had to be a creator. And, and the question of how did things start cannot be answered by science. And so tonight we are going to, to go uh, look at a claim that many people have a problem with in society today. And I think that uh, this may hit home for some of you. You may struggle with this too. Uh, we're going to talk tonight about how, how God, how Jesus really is the name above all names, just as Mia and Gabby were singing up there. And so we're going to look at this claim and look at uh, really how Christianity is the only true religion. And, and before we really dive into it, I just want to, in case you didn't know this, uh, everyone loves opinions. Can we agree on that? That like people love opinions. I especially love opinions and not just opinions, but I love my opinions. And, and people have opinions for everything. And I think if anything, this season of life that we've been in, we've seen that. Uh, if you haven't noticed yet, everyone on Facebook, everyone on Instagram now has a medical degree and now has the answers for how the world is going to get back to normal and back to a better place and how we can just eradicate the virus and say, look, we're done. Uh, but yet, somehow their ideas aren't working, their opinions aren't working, and their opinions seem to contradict. And what you see is that people really like the opinions that fit with their opinions, but they don't like the opinions that don't. And we see this with anything, not just with the coronavirus. We see this with everything that people have opinions. I have opinions, you have opinions, and we love our opinions. Now, I'll start by talking about this because in a lot of ways, society, today's world, tells us that religion is an opinion. It tells us that religion is, in a lot of ways, a, a personal preference. And people say it's really 
quote-unquote narrow-minded or really exclusive for Christianity to say it's the only way for you to experience salvation and eternal life, for Christianity to say the only way for you to be saved is to follow Jesus. That's just really, really narrow-minded. That's just really exclusive. And then we ask the question of, of how can we be certain that it is the right way? Is it the right way because we grew up in America? What about the kid who grew up uh, in Asia or grew up in the Middle East and grew up Islam? What about them? Do they just not even get a shot because that's how they were raised? So do they even get a fair shot? What about their family? What if their family was raised the same way? Isn't it unloving or unwelcoming of God not to just accept people for who they are and accept all people? And so when we look at these questions, society tells us that religion should just be a personal preference. It should just be your opinion. Let me give you some statistics that back this up, that most people in today's society, especially millennials, my generation and your generation, Gen Z, uh, would all say this, that essentially religion all religions are the same. And here's how we see this, that 65% of the people in America who are millennials or Gen Z uh, identify as Christian, would say that they are Christian, but of, the, of those people, 43% of them say it doesn't matter what faith you follow because they all teach relatively the same thing. They all teach the same lessons. 70% of Christian and non-Christian religious groups say many, relig many religions lead to eternal life. And 43% say as long as you are generally good, you will have and receive eternal life. And 50% of people say that all people will be accepted despite what they may have done. But all of a sudden, when, when you as a Christian, when, when someone that's a Christian goes, Jesus is the only way, all of a sudden it's, whoa! You're being narrow-minded. You're being exclusive. This is 2020. Stop being intolerant. Stop being intolerant. And so tonight, I, I want us to unpack this claim that Christianity is, it is the only true religion. And I want us to talk about how uh, the first two things, really the two points that we're talking about tonight are how Christianity is both exclusive and inclusive. If you're taking notes, these are the first two things. Christianity is both exclusive and inclusive. And so we're going to look at these two things. How Christianity, yeah, it is. It's exclusive. Christianity is very exclusive. But we're also going to, after we look at that, we're also going to look at how Christianity is the most inclusive. And this would seem that it contradicts, but I'm going to show you how it doesn't. If you have your Bible, your phone Bible, uh, it's going to be on the screen as well. Flip to the book of Acts right after the Gospel of John. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Just two short verses to give you some context here. Uh, Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, is on trial for sharing his faith in Rome. And so he's on trial, and this is what he says to the officials that have him on trial. He says, For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures, where it says, The stone that you builders have rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
It says that Jesus is the only name by which you can be saved. And so Christianity, we see, and, and Peter's admitting it here, that Christianity, yeah, it makes a lot of exclusive claims. It, it makes a lot of exclusive claims. It, when we look in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus makes some exclusive claims. Jesus says that, it says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive. You want eternal life? You have to come through me. And if, if you don't, then, then you're not receiving eternal life because I am the only way. And so Jesus, the cornerstone, as Peter says, the cornerstone, the person who our faith is built around, the person we are in relationship with, is making exclusive claims. When we look at the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, it says, there is only one God. There's only one God. Very exclusive, especially in a world that we live in that has many gods. You know, Peter lived in a time where, just very similar to ours, I, I fully believe we live in a time that is much like the time that Peter was preaching in, where in Rome they had many gods, and you've studied them in school, the Roman gods of Zeus, Apollo, Athena, like all these Roman gods, like you've studied them. This is the time period that Peter is preaching in where, where in Rome they had many gods, and, and the Roman gods you all learned about, people were okay with you want to follow your God, fine, I'll follow my God. You just follow whatever God you want. It's your opinion. It's your preference. And we, we hear a lot, I think, today that we are becoming a godless nation. We hear that a lot. I hear it a lot, that we, we have become a nation that is godless. But I'm going to argue it's the opposite, that we are really becoming a nation that has many gods. In Rome, again, they were cool with you having whatever God you wanted to have. But the moment that Peter began to say, no, the, the only God, the only way is Jesus, that's when there became a problem. That's when he got arrested. And I'll just kind of fill in the back, back of this story is Peter was crucified upside down. He was killed because he said that Jesus is the way. If you look at it, just about every disciple that Jesus had was killed because of their faith. Because they said, Jesus is the only way. Every single one of them died for their faith, which to me, I, I think, further reinforces the fact that what Jesus taught was true. You have all these people throughout history who are willing to die for their faith. And so we have become a nation of many gods. And, and have y'all ever seen the bumper stickers on the back of cars that say, like, coexist, and they have all the different, like, letters that correlate to the different, like, the the C is the crescent moon of Islam, and the T is the cross, and all the different religious symbols make up the letters. And so we slap these bumper stickers on our car that say coexist because we think as a society that saying Jesus is the way is intolerant, it's single-minded, it's narrow-minded, and it's exclusive. And we live in 2020, and we need to be as inclusive as we can be. And so we slap these bumper stickers on our car and, and say that saying Jesus is the only way, that's not loving. Jesus says to love and, and being exclusive and narrow-minded, that's, that's not loving like Jesus has called us to love. Shame on you Christians, you're being hypocritical. But I think we need to ask ourselves, when we, when we say we need to coexist, what does it mean? What does it mean to coexist? 
Does it mean to love people and just accept people as people and to love them where they're at? Or does it mean to accept all things as truth? Because there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between loving people where they're at and accepting everything as truth. I can love you where you're at, but that doesn't mean I accept everything that you do as right and factual and true. And so people today have many gods, uh, and it comes in the form of money. It comes in the, addic- in the form of addiction. And I'm even going uh, to, to say this, that people have a god called tolerance. People have a God called tolerance. People have a God called inclusivity. That has become, I think, one of the most prevalent gods in 2020. And I'm going to say something that's probably very controversial in today's society, and that says Jesus was loving, but he isn't tolerant. Jesus is loving, but he wasn't tolerant. Jesus was loving, but he wasn't I'm going to give you some biblical examples of Jesus being loving but not tolerant. He didn't accept what people did. He loved people where they were at, but he didn't accept what they did. Look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he ripped a lot of people off. He wasn't honest. He was, he was a cheater. He stole a lot of money from people. And what did Jesus do with Zacchaeus? He pointed Zacchaeus out of the crowd and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming. I'm going to go eat with you. I'm going to go eat dinner with you. Something that If you didn't care about that person, you wouldn't do it. If you didn't love that person, you weren't going to eat with them. That was a sign of respect. So Jesus respected Zacchaeus, but he called Zacchaeus out and said, stop. Stop what you're doing. You look at Jesus and the woman at the well, where this woman comes to Jesus and realizes who he is. And Jesus calls her out. Like, they're just having a normal conversation. And he just calls her out and says, hey, your husband not your real husband, not your first husband. Nope, in fact, it's your third husband. And says, stop. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus looks her in the eye and says, stop sinning. I love you, but stop sinning. You look at Jesus and the adulterous woman who the Pharisees brought to him and said, hey, the law says that she cheated on her husband, so we got we to gotta stone her. And Jesus says, let the first person without sin throw the first stone. And she looks at Jesus and says, you're the only one left here. Aren't you going to throw a stone? And he goes, no, I love you, but go and sin no more. Turn from your past. Live in relationship with me. And so in all of these instances, we see that Jesus loved them. Jesus met them where they were at, but Jesus didn't accept what they were doing. He defined what it really means to coexist, to love people and accept people as people, but not to accept everything that we see as true. He didn't just look at people and say, you do you. Jesus was exclusive. You know, if we listen to society, it tells us that Christianity is not the only true religion because it is exclusive and because exclusivity is intolerant. But I would just ask you this. What about other religions? You probably don't know this. What about other religions? So I want to walk through uh, three of the other main prominent religions. And I want to tell you what their version, like their Bible, their holy text says. So in Islam, if we look at the Muslim faith, here's what it says in the Quran. Their holy text says, 
whoever, and this is direct quote, okay, direct quote, whoever seeks another religion other than Islam, it will not be accepted of them, and they will be one of the losers. Direct quote. If you seek another religion, it will not be deemed acceptable, and you will be deemed a loser. And that's one of the nicer things it says about people who are not following Islam. If we look at Hinduism, what a lot of non-Christians and secular religious people would say, uh, they would say Hinduism is probably one of the most inclusive religions. And here's what it says in, in their holy text called the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu god Krishna says this, those who do not follow my teachings cannot obtain enlightenment. If you don't follow my teachings, you can't, you can't be fulfilled. And they believed in reincarnation, right? So they don't even really believe in heaven. They believe that you live a good life, you come back as an animal or something else. And if you don't follow his teachings, you can't obtain full reincarnation. You can't uh, obtain fulfillment. You look at the Buddhist faith, here's what it says in uh, the Buddhist, Buddhist teachings. It says that Buddhism is the only path, that there is no other path to purification. And so when we look at all these different religions, I think we're in the same spot as Christianity. They all seem pretty exclusive. They all say, this is the way. And if you want to obtain eternal life or fulfillment or satisfaction, you have to follow this way. And if you're not, you're not going to reach that. And so they all seem exclusive. And they all say that they are the right way. They all say they are the right way. And so if we as a society are saying that all religion is true, right? It doesn't matter what religion you choose. Just choose one, right? You just choose a religion and go with it. And, and that'll work. What, what works for you works for you. If we're saying that, essentially we're saying all religions are wrong. We're saying all religions are wrong. And that is because all religions contradict each other. They all say, I'm right, the others are wrong. And so naturally, if we say all religion is right, we are saying all religion is wrong. I want you to think of it this way. Any of y'all been to, like, the Bahamas or something? No? Imagine, like, you wanted to go to the Bahamas, right? And you didn't know what plane to go get on. And so you went to the airport and just showed up, and you asked some random person, hey, which plane do I get on to go to the Bahamas? And they said, oh, just choose one. Like, you went to the Atlanta airport where they have thousands of flights a day. And you said, hey, I want to catch a flight to the Bahamas. And they said, great, just pick a plane. And you pick a plane, and you end up in China. It, are, are you going to think that person was very loving of you? Are you going to think what that person said of just choose a plane and get on it and go? Are you going to think that that's very loving? Because essentially, as a society, that's what we're telling people to do. Just go pick a plane. Go get on one. Oh, you want to go to heaven? Great. Just pick a plane. Just go pick one. But when we look at it, when this idea of you just do you, this idea of you just choose one and go with it, what works for you works for you, and that's great. Well, that, that mindset is unloving. It is not loving. We, we think it's loving, but it's not. It's not. And when we look at it, it's really unloving because all religions are saying, I'm the way, the others are not. 
And so as a society where we've said that y if you're loving, you'll, you'll just accept people and just say, you go do this, and religion is a preference and it's an opinion, that is probably one of the most unloving things you could ever say to someone. Probably one of the most unloving things. In fact, it's more loving to say, hey, this is the way. I care about you, and so I want you to know the way. I want you to know the way because I want you to receive eternal life. The second thing I want us to look at, so Christianity, it's exclusive, right? We, we get that. Christianity makes exclusive claims. Jesus makes exclusive claims about being the way, the truth, the life, that you, you cannot receive eternal life except for be a, a relationship with Jesus. The second point is this, that Christianity is inclusive. It is exclusive, but it is inclusive. It is inclusive in this sense. There is only one way, right? We've got the exclusivity part, exclusive. There's only one way, but it's for everyone. There is one way, but it's for everyone. It doesn't matter what walk of life you were born into. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It's for you. The one way, the exclusive way is for everyone. The it includes everyone. It is the most inclusive religion when we look at it, when we look at probably the most famous verse, I, I, I've said this to y'all multiple times, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, right? The entire world that he sent his son so that those who believe, exclusive, those who believe would have eternal life. So right there, we see the one way, but we see who it's for. It's for the world. And we see how you can obtain that through believing you know, religion breeds insecurity. Religion breeds insecurity. But a relationship breeds security. Religion breeds insecurity. But a relationship breeds security. And I think that's one of the most di distinctive things between Christianity and other religions. And it's simply that Christianity is a faith, not a religion. Everything else is a religion. I want you to look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28. Here's what it says. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't say, Hey, all of you, come to me, and I'm going to give you work. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Hey, come to me, and I'll put you to work. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest, the complete opposite of work. When you look at every other religion in the world, they are all focused on one thing. And it's focused on what you do. And what you have to do in order to earn, in order for you to obtain salvation. And that breeds insecurity. When you always have to wonder, have I done enough to earn my salvation? That breeds insecurity. You're always wondering, have I done enough? Am I good enough? But a relationship, an unconditional relationship that is not based on what you've done, but based on what someone has done for you, that breeds security because you know no matter how bad I mess up, as long as I have my relationship with Jesus, as long as I'm seeking to live for him and seeking to turn from sin, then I will have eternal life. 
You know, the gospel acknowledges your brokenness. The gospel acknowledges my brokenness. And the beauty of it is, is that God recognized our brokenness. And he sent his son, Jesus, because he realized you are incapable of earning your salvation. He realized that no matter how hard you try, you cannot earn your salvation. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you do. It's about what has been done for you. Like, of all things that I want you to hear tonight, it's this, that a relationship with Jesus is not about what you do. It's about what has been done for you. Now, I, I want you to get this, too, though, that just because it's not based on what you do, what you do still matters. Right? Like, this isn't just a hall pass to go live life the way you want to live it. But no matter what you do, you cannot walk yourself out of salvation. Because salvation is based on what has been done for you. And I think a great way of, of thinking about this, you know, religion giving off insecurity and a relationship, an unconditional relationship producing security, I think a great way to think of that is like a child. Like you, growing up. If you grow up in a relationship where you have to earn your approval, where you feel like you have to earn approval, where maybe we'll just use your dad, right? Like maybe you, you, you always, you go up to your dad and you say, Dad, am, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Did I do a good enough job? And that, that, that feeling and that like wonder of like, am I good enough? And no matter how time someone may tell you, yeah, you've done a good job, the next time you do something, the question in your mind is still, did I do a good enough job to receive your approval? Did I do a good enough job? And for some of you, that's the type of relationship you grow up in, that you have grown up in, where sometimes you don't do a good enough job and you receive disapproval. Some of you don't grow up in a family where the relationship between you and your parents is unconditional. And I'm sorry for that. Because when you grow up in an unconditional relationship, no matter how badly you mess up, they still love you. That love, that approval is still there. And that is the type of relationship, that is the type of father that God is to us. And some of you have a really skewed, a really messed up view of who God is. You view God as this God who is just disapproving of everything that you do, who just wants to rain down fire and lightning and just strike you dead when you do something bad. And you've grown up in these relationships where you're having to earn approval day after day, and that's how you think God is. But God's not like that. God is a God of unconditional love. God is a God who wants an unconditional relationship with you. And God wants you to know that he loves you, no matter how badly you do and how badly you will mess up. That your salvation, his love for you, is not based on what you do, but what has been done for you. And Jesus didn't die so that you could keep the burden, keep the chains, and keep the weight of working to earn your salvation. 
Because if you're working to earn your salvation, it's going to be heavy. You're going to get really tired. And you're always going to wonder, have I done enough? And that's what we see. If we look at anyone else in a different religion, that is the burden they carry is, have I done enough? One of my friends who, who now lives in Colorado, he was a youth pastor at Village Baptist for a while, uh, talked with uh, two, two men of the Mormon faith one time. And he just asked them, like, how do you know that you've done enough in order to get into heaven? And they simply said, we don't know. We don't know when we've done enough. And so that's a question they have to live with their whole life. But as Christians, we find security in knowing that it's not about how much we do or what we do. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus died so that you could be free to live out your faith and live in relationship with him. So again, all, all religions say, do this, no, do this, no, do this. But Christianity says, it's not about you. It's not about you. Take yourself out of the middle and put Christ back in the, the center where he belongs and realize it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And you don't have to earn anything. It's been earned for you. So just kind of to wrap up, just to summarize these two main points, is Christianity is exclusive and it makes exclusive claims. And it does, Christianity does say that, hey, Jesus is the only way. But all religions are exclusive. You can't look at any other religion and say that it's not exclusive. But the beauty of Christianity, the way that we see that Christianity is the only true religion, is that it, it is inclusive of all people. It welcomes all people of all walks of life, of all backgrounds, and says, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. So Christianity is both exclusive and both inclusive. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go to small groups. Lord, we thank you for this day. We just thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. And Lord, we thank you that you have provided the way for us to receive salvation. And Lord, we thank you that as you've provided the way, Lord, you haven't limited it to a certain group of people. Lord, you made a way for all people to have eternal life. You want a relationship with all people. And your forgiveness, your love is for all people. And all you ask in return is a relationship where we choose to follow you and to live how you've instructed us to live. And so what I ask that any student here or watching or that will listen, Lord, if they don't know your love, Lord, if they are trapped in this cycle of, of thinking that they have to earn your love, or if they think that they're not capable of being loved because of what they've done, Lord, I pray that you just speak the truth to them about how your love really is, that your love is an unconditional love. Your love is a love that is not limited by our past mistakes. Lord, it's a love that looks to the future. And so, Lord, we thank you for that love. Lord, I pray that these students would come to know your love and your desire to be in relationship and bless them each and every day. And so, Lord, as we, as we keep unpacking your word and unpacking this in small groups, Lord, I pray that 
you would just help us to come to a, a better understanding of what it means to live in a relationship with you and how we can love others without giving in and bowing down to society. Lord, how we can have faith in you without compromising your teachings. So Lord, I pray for all of these students, Lord, that you would just be with them, keep them safe, keep them healthy throughout their days and weeks. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you and thank you for listening.